Hey, it's Patrick. Before we start, at the time of this recording, we went through a bit of a name rebranding from Rick Center to Altitude Accelerator. With that in mind, we hope you enjoy the following interview. Welcome to the Startups Transform podcast. I'm Patrick McGuire, your host, board member and advisor at Altitude Accelerator, where we help startups scale to new heights. We chat with phenomenal tech business leaders who've climbed their way to success within their industry. Our guests delve deep into the lessons they've learned along the way so that you can get a head start on your next big idea. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my friend Andrew here and Char Technologies. So the corporate byline is going to tell you that decarbonizing for a circular economy through the advanced design, technology, and environmental services, that sounds like a mouthful. And what the heck does it really mean? So first of all, I want to say thank you very much. I want to introduce you to my friend, Andrew. And Andrew, you tell me a little bit about what that means and what Char Technologies is doing. For sure. And Patrick, I want to thank you for having me. Looking forward to kind of telling the story and having the conversation. It's always fun. So what does decarbonizing for a circular economy mean to us? Really, it's about two broad areas. On the one hand, we help industrial clients find ways to be more energy or resource efficient. So, you know, they're not creating as much greenhouse gas because they're not using as much energy. On the other piece is the technology front. So we have a number of technologies. You know, our most prominent is called high temperature paralysis, and I'm sure we'll talk all about that as the podcast goes on here. But it's a carbon negative uh, way to process certain wastes and create some really high value carbon products and, and energy products. So it's all about decarbonizing. And again, that circular economy piece of the equation is taking waste and finding ways to add value to it. Andrew, that's, it's crazy because, I mean, it's circular, as you've clearly stated, but you've got many, many, many layers to make that work. We could probably just pick one of those things and have a successful company, but You've actually layered in like, sounds like about five, maybe six different strategies kind of making the circular economy work. Tell me about some of the awards and innovation uh, things you've guys got going. Like I see top 20s and I see like best achievements and young entrepreneurs. Tell me about this stuff because I think people need to know how cool and sexy and exciting this industry could be if you hustle. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you use the term because primarily some of the wastes that we talk about are things like biosolids and sludges. And so it's not often that they can refer to that industry as sexy. I've always thought it has been, uh, but I've had debates with others who maybe don't agree with that. So uh, I'm glad you see it as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, I think we've got and had some really great recognition over the years as we continue to grow the technology, grow the company, and, and really help people understand what we're up to. So. You know, we look at the, the CIX top 20 most innovative public companies. I mean, for us, that was a, an awesome award and it was fantastic to be recognized in kind of the innovation space. But of course, as you alluded to, there was a couple of Entrepreneur of the Year and um, emerging leaders from the Clean 50, which is a fantastic organization. I think they just released their most recent Clean 50 in the Globe and Mail a couple of weeks ago. And they recognize some really cool people and some really cool projects. So check that out as well, because they're always bringing forth such awesome ideas. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I like that about you. Everything I've known from talking to the other members at Rick, and you kind of put the company first, you kind of put yourself second. It's kind of humble. It is very cool. And 
knowing that you have a vision for the company to succeed far before yourself shows what type of business you run, the operations you run, and lead by example. And I think that's really cool as well. Who's your primary target? Help us understand that because, I mean, you talk about gases and biosolids and just anything and trying to help clean tech. And I say clean tech to try and make it easy for most people to understand, but you got so much more. Who's your target audience and clients that you work with? Yeah, it's it's really all about the big industrials. And so that can be food and beverage, that can be in more resource intensive, the steel and or cement industry, forestry and waste processing. But it's all large industrial firms that have a fairly significant environmental impact just based on you know how they've historically operated, how that market has historically operated. And one of the best things I've learned since going into this is at every level of these organizations, there really is a strong and passionate commitment to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, to embracing the circular economy. And they are always looking for ways to do so. And, and you know, when you couple energy costs with carbon pricing, with operational efficiencies, it's a really interesting space to be in. And it's one that I think a lot of people don't immediately think of as that, but there's just so much opportunity to do so many cool things here. Yeah, it really is. And you know, you're right. Most people don't think big companies, even other energy companies that are producing energy from other sources and leaving waste products, they don't think of it as cool or sexy. It's really interesting that you guys are going in there and you're finding a group of people that they're in this big, what we might consider a wasteful industrial environment. And there's a core group of people saying, we can do this better. We can do it probably faster and cheaper. And we can produce better energy that's cleaner on the other end. Who should we call? Oh, Char. Let's call Char Technologies, right? And you're right there. I've come across a few. There's super passionate groups inside of large companies that go, what we do is good, but I also want to be a clean, green machine. And you're, you're giving them that opportunity. And I like that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just one other quick piece on that is the term waste isn't used because no one in the industry and in the spaces views it as waste. If you look at where you bring your garbage to, they're resource recovery facilities because we recognize that there is still resource and value here. And that's an important message to kind of get across and to get people thinking about. I like that. It's a new way of thinking because even I still call it waste, right? It's, it's a byproduct of something that is not my core product or whatever I'm pumping out. But other people are innovative and it goes to show the way you, your team thinks it's a resource that could be recovered. And it's maybe not energy for X, but hey, it could be energy for Y or it could be recirculated into the environment somehow, uh, depending on what it is, of course. Absolutely. So you're obviously young and you're motivated and you're successful. Tell me something that happened early on in your life that actually, or your career, that has impacted the way that you work today. Sure. And I think there's two pieces. So we'll, we'll start early life and then we'll go to early career. So in the, the early life side, um, I always count myself as fortunate, but I grew up with two dads. I had a father and a stepfather. Both were really positive influences on me. They both were entrepreneurial. You know, one had a school photography company that he built up and ran. The other was in uh, as a stockbroker and a money manager. Uh, so kind of have to build your client base within a larger organization. And so, you know, certainly saw the hustle from both of them growing up, which I think was obviously a strong influence. But they both also gave me opportunities to practice being an entrepreneur when I was 
eight years old, I was running the pop fund at the staff office. So, you know, what kind of pop do people want? And, oh, they're drinking more Pepsi, so I better go buy more Pepsi. I'm kind of doing that marketing and sales piece to just cleaning the offices to, you know, coming up with lists of potential targets and why prioritizing them and all that good stuff. So that was great practice growing up. And then whether that was the big influence or other aspects, you know, when I first started Char, I kind of really had to live it. I didn't have a lot of money graduating university because I started the company straight out of school. Really? Yeah, shockingly, <laughs> I, was, I was actually in a little bit of debt. So we kind of went through the process of raising money and, and got involved in the Brick Center, which was awesome and really helped us along. On a personal perspective, I didn't have much. So, you know, I would kind of wake up at 5.30 in the morning, Monday to Friday, go to a plaza, sweep up all the cigarette butts, empty the garbage bins, and take me about 45 minutes and paid 40 bucks. And so that helped pay for food. And then, you know, on the weekends, I worked at a farmer's market. I sold poultry, got there at 4.30 in the morning, unloaded the trucks and sold from about 7 till 3 and then closed up shop. And that paid a couple bills and and then going between meetings, I had a 100% commission, 100% cold calling, job selling, point of sale, debit credit machine. So yeah. between a meeting, I'd stop at a plaza and go knock on every door and hope I could convince someone to buy one of these machines so I could have a little bit of extra cash flow. So that and having to, to kind of live through that in the early days teaches a lot about management of your resources, whether it's time or your, or your money. And certainly that's something that you bring along with you when you're managing the company as well. For sure. I mean, I'm just going to call it out, folks. Hustler. And it's not in a bad way. That's a positive connotation. Hustle, hustle, hustle. And that's what we're finding with a lot of people we talk to these days that are truly successful entrepreneurs. No matter whether how big or how small or how enterprise the business is, it's all about that hustle. I mean, from someone who woke up at 5.30 to go sweep cigarette butts in garbage so that he could go to his day job uh, selling point-of-sale systems while having meetings. And we're not sure if the meetings were in between the POS sales or the POS was in between the meetings, but just continuously hustling to accomplish that dream just so you get to the weekend to sell some poultry to pay some bills. That is hustle, hustle, hustle. And that is why the company is where it is today and why you're so successful. And I'm very impressed and I love stories like this. So thank you for sharing that. Sometimes it's not... Again, not clean, not cool, but it's the truth. And the other thing too is I'll say that I know this. I had two dads, my stepfather and my father, both awesome in different categories. So I totally relate with what you're saying. They breed success in different ways. You take the best of both and you are who you are today and you've made yourself quite successful and, and you hustle. I can't say it any better way. <laughs> That's it. What inspired you? And I don't know if it was sweeping cigarette butts, what inspired you to actually do char technologies as a startup? Yeah, well, I can tell you it wasn't sweeping cigarette butts because that came a little bit later. The inspiration came when I was nice and comfortable as a grad student, work a couple hours and go with some friends to the patio and have lunch and a couple drinks and maybe go back to the lab, maybe not. It's, uh, it's a whole different lifestyle and it was, it was a lot of fun at the time. But um, I was working on my graduate thesis in chemical engineering at the University of Toronto. And we were working generally in this space of biogas, so organic waste into energy. And my specific topic turned out when we did the, the work and did the modeling that, you know, probably everyone's heard of the laws of thermodynamics, doing the, the long calculations, what we were trying to do 
tried to break these laws and, and you can't do it. So wow. it looked very much like this thesis was just going to be a, here's all my calculations. This is why we can't do it. You still get your master's degree. Like it doesn't have to be successful. You just have to go through the rigor, right? So it's like, okay, that's where it is. I'll go get a job after I graduate and figure it out. But then kind of made the decision that maybe we should go check out one of these biogas plants. Maybe we should see how they operate and kind of get out of the academic setting. And so we went down and, and went to a biogas plant and saw that, well, they take organic waste and turn it into to energy in the form of biogas. They also create this byproduct and it's called digestate in the industry, but functionally it's compost. It's like a fiber, didn't really have much value. There was big piles of it at the site. We asked them what they did with it. And they said, well, you know, if we have a spill, we'll use it to sop up. Maybe the tractor had a leak and we sop up the oil with it and throw it out because it absorbs stuff. And that's kind of it. So, and there was a lot of it. My professor, Don Kirk and I took a bag of this stuff and it is kind of extra smelly compost. We put it in the back of his CRV, which if you know cars, the trunk is not separated from the rest of the car. And then took the two and a half hour drive back to Toronto with the, uh, oh, the lovely awesome. just smell. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was great. And so we found a way to, to, instead of what we were trying to do before, to convert this stuff into activated carbon, which uh, most people would know as a Brita filter, you know, the stuff inside those yeah. little black pellets, right? And so we found this great way to make value out of it. And char, that's where char comes from, as we were charring this digestate, no oxygen, wow. high temperatures, and making these activated carbons. So got the IP, started down the, the road of filing patents, and said, who else better to take this thing to market than the guys who put it together? So decided to launch the company and go from there. Cool. I mean, you, you got out of the academic setting and said, let's go see this for real. And this weird idea just pops in your head like that. I love that you took the chance, and I love that you took the chance just to look at it. More entrepreneurs need to do that. Even just everyday people, they walk around and go, oh, what if I did that? I always joke about the person who created the, uh, the stupid little uh, pizza topper tables that go inside the pizza boxes so it doesn't sink in. And oh, I'm like, man, that's the stupidest idea ever. And it's brilliant. You know, and it's probably just some drunk university student. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Someone who eats a lot of pizza, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that you got out of your academic setting. You said, let's go check it out. And this idea pops in your head. I knew that the Char Technologies name came from that sort of story. I didn't know the exact details of the origin of it. So that is really wonderful. Thank you for sharing. So was there a time in your business that you guys had to pivot? Yeah, and I think it's natural to have a pivot point, And I think it's something generally to be embraced. And you know, for us, it came about because we really had to shift our thinking as I was saying, this product we came out of university with was this activated carbon. We said, okay, great. We've got a process and intellectual property on how to make activated carbon. Now we're going to go into the market and sell activated carbon. And you start to run into different issues. One is it's a very saturated market. We had some strong advantages. You know, our product was zero waste. You know, once it was used, yeah. it still had value as a fertilizer. So again, circular economy from the beginning. But at the end of the day, you're still competing in a relatively saturated market. And we found clients and potential clients wanted to know and have the certainty that you had a warehouse somewhere filled with this material that they needed more if they, you know, something happened, they needed to order some right away, that you'd be able to fulfill it. And then you've got, well, we're a startup. 
we need a couple million dollars just to build our processing system and then to have the amount of money to pour into inventory to put in a warehouse to then satisfy kind of these this checklist of demands and it talks to and speaks to how challenging certain markets are that require sort of a strong level of rigor behind them and so kind of struggling a little bit on getting some traction little traction you know there's certainly enough market validation that we're going forward this is really interesting stuff and we're getting positive feedback and then kind of the the realization came that, well, the sulfature, the activated carbon stuff is kind of the vitamin from the vitamin painkiller analogy. You know, you really want to be making the painkillers, right? And it's a vitamin in that it's it's better for sure, uh, but there are solutions to solve the problem. This just has some added benefits. And then we go way back to when we visited this first biogas plant site and said, well, what what's the big problem we can solve in it? turns out it's that that digesting that compost that that waste that they're generating um you know that's what their problem is that's what they can't deal with that's what they need a real solution for so we pivoted the model from being very product focused of okay we're making sulfur to uh solutions focused where great we'll bring and install a high temperature pyrolysis unit which is our core technology on your site put the digestate through it so that uh, you know it eliminates that issue and creates some valuable uh, gas energy as well as as the biocarbons and if you like the sulfur char model then we'll license that technology and you can create your own sulfur char for your own use uh, because there is a use for it at these biogas plant sites and that's awesome that that pivot in thinking because it's we're still going after the same markets the same technology we're just really pivoting the positioning and how we're approaching it. And that made it a huge difference in how we were received in the market and how we're able to really start to grow the company. I love it. I absolutely love it. And what you're doing for those companies is you're making them leaner and greener and more efficient. You're also taking care of our environment in a different way. There's so many layers to why this makes so much sense. But who made that change or decision to make that pivot? Yeah, and it, it's it's actually kind of funny because I think conceptually when we talk pivot, it's like a moment in time. It's like, you know, woke up Tuesday, boom, <laughs> change directions. And, you know, I would presume that in most cases it's similar to ours where, you know, it was a bit of a, a transition of we started to test the market with this idea of selling or the equipment, leasing the equipment, getting the equipment on site to deal with the waste uh, the digestate, the, the compost material, instead of selling the solvature. But we didn't just stop, you know, trying to promote the product either. It was a, a transition really over a couple of months where we continually tested the market, got some feedback, and then really found that, you know, this is the direction we should be going, and then finally made kind of the real push over. So, okay. um, when we're kind of trying to say, you know, who made the decision, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it was me. Uh, but it wasn't a kind of a snap decision. You know, we talked about, well, let's explore the market as a team in this direction. We're getting way, way better feedback. And we're getting good feedback over there. Don't get me wrong. We're getting awesome feedback over here. So this is where we need to be. Uh, so let's continue to, to push in there. And now that's, that's definitely the focus. Yeah, it makes me think of the 80-20 became the 20-80. You kind of just sort of inserted a product. It seemed to work. It seemed to get more traction, more traction, more traction. And it's not like the other side of the business went away. It's just that the new 
solution was much more successful than the current solution. And now you're running sort of a two-pronged attack and generating revenues in multiple ways and able to help a lot of different companies. And you're growing. I mean, you guys are growing. Absolutely. I'm going to make you dig down. What was the worst decision that you think you've ever made in the company? Um, you know, you kind of think about bad decisions, decisions that, you know, you could have done better, could have, you know, maybe delayed you or, or maybe yep. wasted money on this, that, or the other thing. But I think that for, for me and, and for the company, the biggest was waiting too long to build out our team. Oh, wow. Um, I was, I was kind of the solo entrepreneur, solopreneur, you know, graduated, you know, Don, who was my, my professor, my supervisor at U of T, was part of the, the company and sort of supported from a technical perspective. But I mean, he's a he's a full-time tenured professor. He's not running a company. Right. And so for the first, you know, three years, it was me and bringing in consultants if when we, we kind of needed the extra right. support on a project or the like. And I mean, it, it's a good strategy from a cash conservation perspective. You know, you've got a very defined project. Here's the consulting revenue or fees that we're going to be paying. And I know how much cash I have. So, okay, we can, we can make this work versus, you know, of course, hiring people. That's, you know, you're making a commitment to that person that they have continued employment. Like it's a very, very different uh, relationship. And I think with trying to balance the, the cash flow and, and the projects and, and everything else, uh, I think I waited far too long to bring in other full-time team members and, you know, once I did it, it really dawned on me that, you know, you're not just hiring full-time people to take the workload to, you know, we've got too much work, so we just need more people. But you're bringing in all this different experience, all this different, mm -hmm. you know, all these different backgrounds uh, that can all contribute towards the business model, the marketing plan, the sales strategy, like all of these such critical aspects are now not just getting support from kind of advisors, which is obviously very important, but there's people in there with you. And that coupled with that in the trenches together feeling, you know, when you have those kind of lows that every entrepreneur has of like, uh, I'm running out of money. Should I have done this? I'm living in a basement. I'm, I'm selling chicken on Saturday. Like, what am I doing? To have someone else or multiple someone else's there with you uh, yeah. I think really helps through those periods as well. So for sure, for sure, for sure, we should have enhanced the team a couple years sooner than we did. Wow. That's a big statement. When you say a couple of years, that's like, wow, we recognize that we could be so much more powerful. We could have been just more efficient or doing different things. But that also shows, again, the humbleness to go, huh, we did well. We did really, really well. We could have done better. And I love that. We could have done better. And then that's going to go to the next one. We are going to do better and we're going to do better than that and keep growing. Uh, speaking of that, what's the coolest or weirdest project you've ever worked on? <laughs> the coolest or weirdest. I mean, uh, probably for the listeners, all of the projects we work on are, are relatively uh, weird in their own ways. <laughs> Um, but I think as we, as we continue to evolve the technology, you know, what I'm uh, most excited about now is how we've been able to further enhance our offering to not just make these carbon products, which again, have great value, yeah. um, but we're also making, uh, gases and one of the gases we're making is green hydrogen, uh, and green hydrogen is getting a ton of market attention right now. 
And from primarily, most sources of green hydrogen are from electrolysis. So you pass electricity through sort of water, splits off the water, hydrogen and oxygen into hydrogen and oxygen. We're able to do it by reacting some of these carbons within our kiln system. And, and so we found ways to enhance the operation. So change how it's operating, temperatures, times, you know, all these ingredients, you know, conceptually it's an oven and we've come up with a new recipe that lets us make a lot more hydrogen. And as that kind of hydrogen economy is growing, it's pretty exciting to be right there, ready to go and ready to create it and have an alternative source. Um, you know, we've, you've got limitations to the power grid of where and how much mm -hmm. hydrogen you can make with electrolysis. You know, our limitation is how much residual materials are there and where are they? And sometimes there's some overlap that you can do electrolysis or you can do high temperature pyrolysis. But sometimes there's times where, you know, there's a single power line going out there, not enough uh, capacity to really run one of these electrolyzers, but there's a whole lot of biomass or biosolids or compost that we can turn into to some cool green hydrogen. So wow. that's probably at this point, I would say that the most interesting one, but, you know, you kind of look back and, you know, they've all been cool and interesting. You know, our, our, our last project with uh, the steel industry where we, you know, created a biocarbon that would replace coal in their blast furnaces so they can decarbonize. You know, awesome. That was very cool. And, you know, not too long ago, back in March, you know, we, we got a, an order for a thousand tons of this material that we call clean fire. So that was also very cool. A thousand so, you know, tons. Think yes. about that. A thousand tons. Like that is an insane amount of what somebody might have thought was waste that you guys turned into you guys have turned into something productive. Absolutely. And to put a thousand tons into a real, you know, concept, a tractor trailer load is forty tons. So How is that all? To, you know, yeah, it's only, it's only forty tons. So if you do the math, it's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of tractor trailers with uh, oh, uh, coal. Good. You know, that's the coal that we're letting stay in the ground and it's not creating greenhouse gas emissions. So you know, it's it, it's all very cool, and, and as you can maybe tell, we might have to go to a new topic. Otherwise, I'm going to use up our time talking about how exciting. Absolutely, this stuff is. I know, and I, I do. And honestly, I, I could definitely continue to chat with you. And in fact, I'm going to. I'm going to get you to do another conversation because this is a passionate area that a lot of people are getting into, and a lot of people need to understand that there are people like you and the Char Technologies team that are just as passionate, if not more. You're leading the charge. I mean, not just in greater Toronto area, South Central Ontario, Canada, but globally. I mean, you're working in California projects, you're working in everywhere you get the chance. People are looking to char technology as a leader. And that's really exciting knowing that your, your grassroots is uh, sweeping cigarette butts, selling poultry, and changing the world for green <laughs> energy. I love it. Think back to the young Andrew. I know you're still young, but... What are three things that you would have told young Andrew before you started the entrepreneurial journey? It's interesting because it was, it really was a, a debate. You know, this, there was like a 50-50 shot that Char Technologies didn't start. And, and coming out of chemical engineering at U of T, you get some pretty decent job offers for yeah. large firms. And, you know, you pay off your student debt and, you know, you, you get uh, benefits and retirement plans and, you know, your your life is set. And, you know, I, I guess I had the good fortune of working for a large engineering firm as part of a co-op and, you know, really realized that, you know, 
living my day-to-day life so I can set myself up for retirement wasn't <laughs> didn't, didn't drive my passion. And, and I'm not trying to be, you know, rude about people who, who do work in large engineering firms. It's just all about oh. trade-offs and, and what you're passionate about. And, you know, for me, I didn't find passion there. So the the kind of advice for young Andrew and, and young, you know, entrepreneurs in general is, you know, if it's, if it's something that you're passionate about, something that you see a market opportunity for, and you're thinking about doing it, kind of the, the time to do it is, is now and test it out, particularly when you're young, when you don't have a lot of uh, liabilities and, and expenses, mortgages and families mm-hmm. to support and, and you can take a risk. And, you know, when you, when you have the opportunity to take a risk, go for it. Absolutely. I like that. If you're passionate, go for it. Thinking through things, how did you end up getting connected to Rick Center? Was it a person? Was it an event? Why Rick? And how'd you find us or we found you? Yeah, actually, it was kind of a, a series of fortunate events. So leaving U of T, Kemenge, I decided I could speak engineering, but I couldn't really speak business yet. Uh, so I went to the University of Waterloo, and they had a program uh, called MBET, Masters of Business Entrepreneurship and Technology. So I enrolled in that, you know, great accelerated eight-month program. And as part of that, our you know team, fortunately, we had a business plan team that was working on my idea down to Ivy and competed in a business plan competition. And we won that, uh, much to the chagrin of a few of the Ivy teams. But, yep. uh, you know, hey, here's this MBET team beating all the MBAs, uh, which was just awesome in its own right. Uh, but one of the judges was a guy by the name of Dennis Ensing. And Dennis was a volunteer advisor for Tech Alliance down in the London area. And so he knew one of the RIC volunteer advisors, James Sproula, who's, you know, really the, the clean tech expert. And, you know, Dennis said to, to James, you know, I just judged this business plan competition. You got to meet Andrew. So I connected with James, drove back to Mississauga and, uh, you know, got hooked up with Rick. And, you know, to kind of continue the story, you know, James went from a volunteer advisor at the Rick Center, you know, to a, a mentor, to a friend, to an investor, to a business partner. There's just so much that, came out of my relationship with the rec center besides, you know, the, the new normal support, the access to funding, you know, all the great things that Rick does, but it really put us on such a phenomenal trajectory. There you have it, folks. I don't have to say anything. Andrew said it better than I could. Rick is more than just a program. Thank you very much. And James is awesome. The guy's he's somewhat of a beast in his own nature and, and cares about people. He's passionate about entrepreneurship and just general success. So that is really cool. You guys have such a strong bond and connection. I got one more question to ask you, then we'll sort of sign off. And then I've got a secret question. I keep tucked away for the end. Uh, so prepare yourself. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of what's going on now, what is the, uh, the future of the company? I'm more excited than I've ever been uh, about it. You know, we've got these great projects where we're making this Biocore we call clean fire for the steel industry. We're down in California turning anaerobic digestate compost into green hydrogen and, and in that market and turning, you know, wood. We didn't really talk about it too much in, in the podcast, but again, the exact same high temperature paralysis. We can also make renewable natural gas out of wood and, and woody materials. And, wow. and there's just such an opportunity to find value from these residuals. And those opportunities just keep expanding drastically as kind of the whole world moves towards 
being more and more environmentally conscious, more and more concerned about our greenhouse gas emissions, more cognizant, you know, especially larger firms about their ESG reporting, environment social governance reporting that a lot of people now look at before investing in, in firms. The opportunities are just expanding so fast. It's, it's very, very exciting. So you'd say your future is a bright green. Would I say that? It's, it's a very bright green. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I mean, on behalf of Rick and, and Startups Transform, I mean, it's fantastic talking with you. This is my last and final parting question. I'd like to ask everybody if I can, if you got the chance to do it all over again, would you do it? No question. No question at all. And, you know, to be honest, I kind of, there's parts of you get that get nostalgic for living in a basement apartment eating <laughs> Mr. Noodles and Kraft dinner every night. So, you know, no hesitation on that one whatsoever. That's awesome. And I didn't expect you to say anything different, to be honest. You're so driven. And if you're out there sweeping cigarette butts and selling poultry and selling POS systems while you have meetings for Char Technologies, yeah, you'd love the whole experience. I mean, the whole enchilada. So that is fantastic. Andrew, I really, really do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. For anyone that wants to think about starting up something, if you're passionate about it, just go for it and start that up. Check out Rick Center. You can Google us. You can find us on LinkedIn. You'll find us everywhere that great startups are happening. And maybe one day you'll be the next Char. Or maybe you'll be working with Andrew at Char, Char Technologies, that is. So, Andrew, thank you so much for your time, my friend. This has been great. It's been a pleasure. And I can't wait to talk to you again. And I can't wait to see all the cool stuff you guys are doing. Again, it's a sexy environment, a sexy industry, and a sexy business. And you're just a cool <laughs> guy to make it happen. So, thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. It's been great. And I look forward to our next chat. This has been a pleasure talking with Andrew White at Char Technologies. And check them out. Visit their website, chartechnologies.com. See what they're all about and how they're changing the world, one biosolid at a time. Thank you for joining us on Startups Transform Podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the conversation, a rating or review goes a long way. Recommend the show to a friend. Find us at altitudeaccelerator.com where we can help you begin your startup journey with access to our workshops, advisors, and mentorship opportunities. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.